Scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 15 and Colossians chapter 4. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. And Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. La primera lectura se encuentra en Lucas capítulo 15 versículos del 1 al 7. Muchos recaudadores de impuestos y pecadores se acercaban a Jesús para oírlo, de modo que a los fariseos y a los maestros de la ley se pusieron a murmurar, este hombre recibe a los pecadores y come con ellos. Él entonces les contó esta parábola. Supongamos que uno de ustedes tiene cien ovejas y pierde una de ellas. ¿No deja las noventa y nueve en el campo y va en busca de la oveja perdida hasta encontrarla? Y cuando la encuentra lleno de alegría, la carga en los hombros y vuelve a la casa. Al llegar, reúne a sus amigos y vecinos y les dice, «Alégrense conmigo, ya encontré la oveja que se me había perdido». Les digo que así es también en el cielo. Habrá más alegría por un solo pecador que se arrepienta que por 99 justos que no necesitan arrepentirse. La segunda lectura está en Colosenses capítulo 4, versículos 2 al 6. Dedíquense a la oración, perseveren en ella con agradecimiento y al mismo tiempo intercedan por nosotros a fin de que Dios nos abra las puertas para proclamar la palabra, el misterio de Cristo por el cual estoy preso. Oren para que, los, para que yo lo anuncie con claridad como debo hacerlo. Compórtense sabiamente con los que no creen en Cristo, aprovechando al máximo cada momento oportuno. Que su conversación sea siempre amena y de buen gusto. Así sabrán cómo responder a cada uno. I want to invite you to pull out this little card here that you should have in your bulletin. If you don't have one, you can look on with uh, the person that's sitting next to you. It says, Our Vision, Our Mission. And we'll be taking a peek at that together. But let me say a word of prayer before we look at these passages from God's Word. God, we uh, want to hear from you, and so please unclog the ears of our hearts, uh, that we would be responsive, that our hearts would be soft, that our lives would be changeable, that we would give ourselves to you and say, Lord, please speak, and we will listen. Uh, give us those kinds of hearts. I pray that you would make this time uh, full of grace and full of your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we are going to push the pause button on the series that we started just a couple weeks ago uh, in the book of Proverbs, uh, looking at different areas of practical wisdom because of our impending move as we are planning uh, to move to a new worship location at Mount Rona Baptist Church and as we prepare for this grand reopening of our community, I thought it might be important for us, it might be invaluable for us to pause and to reflect again on the vision of our church, to look at some of the biblical foundations for who we are and what kind of community we're trying to be here in the neighborhood. An important time as we try to open up our doors again to the local neighborhood and for us to know who we are and what we're inviting people into. And as we plan and strategize different ways that we can build this community uh, in the future. So what you have in front of you is a card that we've used in the past. It's just a summary of uh, the vision of the church. And it says here in, in, in broad terms, our vision, our long-term big picture, if we do all that we are called to do well and faithfully by God's grace, what we hope to see is a true neighborhood. Uh, a, a network of relationships among people and institutions and places that are flourishing by the grace of God, that are a reflection of the values of Jesus Christ, His cross, and His kingdom. Uh, that this neighborhood is transformed not just in sort of superficial urban renewal terms, but in deep ways that this place, this part of Washington, D.C., might more and more look like the community that God intended for human beings to share under God. What could that look like? What could that be right here? Our mission, then, we describe as this to build a gospel community that is spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood-centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, and beyond. To build a gospel community that's spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood, neighbor-centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, and beyond. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, at least until our baby is born and our schedule kind of gets thrown out of loop, we're going to look through our uh, different components of this mission. And uh, today what we're going to do is focus on our endeavor to be what we're calling a spiritually diverse community. A church that is welcoming that is accessible to people that are just looking into the Christian faith, people that are outside of the church, people that are either curious or even people that are resistant, that they would be able to find, that you would be able to find a place here in this church that is meaningful and helpful in your spiritual journey. The relevance to our move here, of course, is that our goal has always been, as a pretty new church in this neighborhood, not simply just to steal other Christians from other churches and to grow in that fashion. Our our goal, rather, has been to see people 
come to know Jesus for the first time and be first-time members of the community, as well as those who have strayed away or walked away from their walk with God and calling them to return home. Or maybe people that are newer to the neighborhood or have been here for a while but don't have a church home, a spiritual family already, and so we might be their new, your new spiritual home. This is what we mean by spiritually diverse community. And we'll unpack that a little bit more using these passages. We have two passages, one from the Gospel of Luke and one from Paul's epistle to the Colossian church in chapter 4. And you see here language of outsiders that the apostle is using and a metaphor of a flock of sheep, which tells us that this is two different places in the New Testament that are being used to address and to teach how the community of Jesus should relate to those who are not themselves followers of Jesus. What does that look like? What should the nature of those conversations be like? The nature of those relationships? We'll talk about this briefly from these passages, and then, of course, I'll open it up for some Q&A. So please do jot down some questions or reflections, and would love to dialogue a little bit with you. First, I'd love to talk about what we see here as the priority of spiritually diverse community. The priority of a spiritually diverse community. Notice in this passage from Luke 15 that Jesus is here and always was when he walked here on earth, surrounded by a mixed community of people of all sorts of spiritual backgrounds and all sorts of religious dispositions. People who were strangely attracted to him Not because he pulled punches and not because he didn't tell them the truth, but something about his manner and something about his life-saving mission. When we say spiritually diverse community, what we're talking about is being a church that sets up an environment where people feel welcome to come. And when you look around the room, you're able to say, we have people from the range of spiritual backgrounds here present. But what we also see in this passage is a sense of priority. Jesus obviously deliberately spent time not just with people that were already in the church or people that already identified themselves with his faith and following. He intentionally spent time with people who were not of that disposition and background. And he tells a story, a little parable, that illustrates this a little bit. Starting in verse 3, he told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. What we take from this is that Jesus is leading us to be a church that is committed to prioritizing the needs of the seeker and the searcher. That it's not just a sideshow thing. It's not just an extracurricular activity of the church. 
Loving and welcoming someone that's from the outside of the church or who's asking big questions is not just something you do as a church when you have time and with your extra energy, residual energy and commitments. It's a priority. Verse 4 again. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country to go find the one? It's sort of even leaving those that are already initiated, those that are already inside, those that already are committed... At times, the shepherd goes and finds the one. Which means, if you're someone today here that's looking into the Christian faith, that you would understand that walking with you and learning together with you is indeed one of the main reasons why we exist. We love you. And we love seeing you. And we love you being a part of the mix of our community. It's why at this church, we don't have Bring a Friend Sunday. Because every Sunday is Bring a Friend Sunday. Every Wednesday night, Thursday night is Bring a Friend Neighborhood Group Night. Every gathering, social or otherwise, that we do is a place where we want people to know that they are cared for. This doesn't mean that suddenly we're neglectful of our Christian members. No, uh, we're here to feed the flock too. Uh, That is the responsibility of the shepherd in Jesus' story. But what that does mean is that sometimes Christians in our community should be willing to make sacrifices for the good of those who aren't Christians. Sacrifices of comfort or sacrifices of even programming because there's always limited time and space and energy and money to do not everything that we wish we could do. Of course, we'll strive in that direction, but sometimes you've got to make choices for Christians to be able to be willing, joyfully willing to make sacrifices of attention, of comfort, of focus. Because the shepherd left the 99 in the open country, which meant leaving them here for a moment, a little bit on their own, to go after the one. It's a remarkable picture of prioritization of the person that's outside the church. But what are some of the marks of a spiritually diverse community that in fact does put before them this priority of loving and welcoming the seeker, the searcher, the investigator. I don't know what you would call yourself if you're here as someone that's asking good, hard questions about God and faith. What are some of the marks of a spiritually diverse community? How do we do it? And this is what we find in the Colossians passage where the Apostle Paul, after giving a lengthy explanation of all the riches that are offered in Jesus, His death, His resurrection, His presence even here today in the life of the church, well, he goes through all these implications for weekly, daily life and behavior. And here he gets to a section in chapter 4 where he focuses on how followers of Jesus are to relate to people who are outside 
the church. What are some of those marks? Let's run through a few of them. Number one, he calls us to humility. Humility. Look at verse 3 in Colossians 4. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Of course, by open door, Paul here means an opportunity to engage, to extend ourselves to people that are outside the church. He's calling people to pray for these opportunities. Pray that communication would go well. Pray that there would be effective relationships and engagement. Pray that there would be openness. Pray that there would be good substantive dialogue. Pray that there would be the right environment. Pray for these things. And here it is. The massive implication is this. If you need to pray, that means you yourself are powerless. Prayer means you're asking God to do what you yourself cannot do in creating openness and open opportunities to engage someone that has different beliefs from your own. Which means if you're someone here that's exploring the faith, that you would understand that our attitude and approach as a community will always be that ultimately, your search and your journey and your working through these issues, ultimately, it's between you and God. It's something that God needs to persuade you of. It's something that God needs to open your mind and your heart of as you wrestle, as you talk, as you think through all these things. And it's not ultimately up to human beings to persuade as if the power to persuade is ours. In other words, we're not going to be a community that tries to force Jesus upon people. We're not going to be a community that manipulates with guilt or with fear or with pressure tactics That we will be a community that will always give plenty of room for processing, to give time. And every person has a unique story and has a a different way of working through these big questions. Uh, Some people need a little bit of breathing room. Other people need a little bit more accountability. And it depends on where you're at as well. But you see, this invitation to prayer is really an invitation to joyful humility to say when it comes to the ultimate transaction between a person and God, God is the one that needs to do that together with them. And the church is not to force, manipulate, or coerce in any way. A humility that needs to be about us. It's what we're learning to be and learning to do together. Number two, clarity. Clarity. In verse 4, Paul says here, Pray, verse 4, that I may make it clear, the mystery of Christ, which is how I ought to speak. This is a call to patiently labor to make the story of Christ understandable. And maybe, maybe that just sounds obvious, But unfortunately, it actually is really hard to do. To be a community that doesn't just slip into theological terms that you'll only understand if you've been a Christian for 25 years and read 25 years worth of books 
where we're always humbly and patiently explaining what this word and what this concept means. That even through the course of our worship service, that we're explaining this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. That we're not presuming that everyone gets what's going on. That in fact we presume that to a person that isn't familiar with the Christian tradition, a lot of the stuff that Christians do is weird. Christians, do you know you're a little bit weird? And therefore, to bring people along, it takes time to explain, to unpack, to humbly translate language, to thoughtfully avoid Christian jargon, words and phrases that only if you were kind of in a Christian youth group years ago and watched this movie or that movie or listened to this music or read this or that book, that only those types of people would understand what the heck you're talking about. Dear friend, if you're someone that's new to the church and this has been your experience, we hope to sort of deconstruct that for you and make your time with us simply more clear, more understandable, more helpful, more meaningful. Notice here, Paul doesn't say pray that God would simply make it easy. You see, we're, we're saying we want to make things clear and we want your time with us, if you're new to this, to be meaningful and helpful to you. That doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. I wish it could be made easy, but sometimes it's not going to be easy. I know there are going to be certain things that we do as a community that might be a little bit uncomfortable for you. Maybe even the idea of prayer feels a little bit strange and alienating. You know what? We understand that that's how it can feel. But we also know that this is one of those essential practices of having a relationship with God. And so we would still love to do it and then invite you into it as best as you know how. Maybe sometimes uncomfortable. Maybe sometimes even offensive. Sometimes maybe troubling. But hopefully helpful. And hopefully clear and understandable to you. It's just so helpful when I've been able to have conversations with some of you and to have you give feedback on what's clear and what's not clear. I remember a conversation not too long ago talking to someone that said, okay, I think I'm understanding this idea of God, but I I still don't get where Jesus fits in. And for you to be able to verbalize that openly so that there can be more explanation given and more clarity given. Please do give us feedback what you're getting and not getting, what's clear to you and what's not. First, humility. Second, clarity. Third, gracious and winsome speech. See that in verse 6, Paul says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech, winsome speech. Paul is talking about the way the whole community talks to one another and talks to and about those who are outside the church. Which means we're committed to being a church that never just talks about people that are outside the Christian faith as if they're out there and if they're idiots. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes in religious circles, there's sort of this sense of, duh, if you just thought about it, you would believe in Jesus. Which is terribly disrespectful. 
and actually terribly, well, dishonoring to the very first point, which was that God is the one that ultimately opens our minds and our hearts to this. Not just a matter of hard thinking and good moral choices. It's the grace of God that does this. Amen? And if that's true, then, if we believe this, then we speak to people all around us graciously. Not like, duh, but man, that is a good question. That is harder than I think I thought. Jesus rising from the dead? Who would believe that? God would make all things in this world out of nothing? That's impossible, it would seem. Again, Christians, you're a little bit weird. Get used to it. And for people not to be fully on board with those beliefs and those convictions that we might hold as a community from Scripture, to understand that gracious speech means patiently walking with people, dialoguing with people, respecting even their doubts, to know, dear friend, if you're a visitor, and maybe you're here because you're like, I can't get on board with any of this stuff, for you to know that you're in the right place. Doubts are okay. The most important thing about it is to be honest about it, but to still be hungry to find an answer. Doubts are welcome, but they shouldn't be celebrated, which is sort of the direction that our prevailing culture is going in, right? The more you doubt, the better. The more you question things ad nauseum, ad infinitum, the better. No, the actual goal is to arrive at truth. The actual goal is to arrive at an answer. Sometimes that means being honest about your doubts and processing them in community and being okay. And that's the environment that we want to provide for you. To be able to work together in community, which is why we have this Q&A time question and answer in the middle of our worship service. Again, to show that it's a priority of the church and not just a sideshow. Why we do things like Brewing Belief, a little pub discussion group. It's on hiatus right now, but a time for us to gather down the street at Meridian Pint and over a pint talk about all your good ideas and thoughts and questions and, and everything. Objections always welcome as part of the process. Christians then needing to be committed to gracious, winsome speech, walking alongside people and understanding here. Paul talks even about how there's this importance of honoring each person, each person. You might have noticed, and I can't find verse. There it is. Verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each Person treating everyone as a unique individual, appropriate to their experience of God and their background. It might be an ethnic cultural background that they're coming from that needs some care in walking with them in a certain way. It might be a religious background, a person that's maybe coming out of uh, a certain Christian tradition, Roman Catholic Church, which is the story of some of you as as, as I've talked to you, or maybe other religious faiths, and sort of understanding your background is unique. Maybe you've had bad experiences of the church. For us to understand, we're always lovingly and patiently addressing your needs according to who you are. Gracious, patient, love, 
and care. Humility, clarity, graciousness, forth, transparency. You might have noticed in verse 5 here of Colossians 4, Paul says this, this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk. This is language that Paul always uses to talk about our life, our lifestyle, our behavior, our conduct. Sort of this idea of uh, as you're traveling through the journey of life, do it with those who are outside the church in mind and do it together with them. In other words, what Paul is saying is don't just give your words in explaining the gospel of your faith to those that don't understand it or don't agree with it. Don't just give your words. Give your lives. Show your homes. Show your underbelly. The real you. Your real story, what you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what faith looks like in concrete terms. With intentionality, making the most of opportunity. Friends, it's one thing to be very thoughtful about the words that we use. Nothing can replace sharing your lives. And inviting people into your life. And so if you are someone that is investigating the Christian faith, that you would know that every part of community life is open to you. That we want you in our homes because that's one of the best ways for you to understand what Christian faith actually looks like in real life terms. And as you hear people talk about their struggles... And to say, look, man, this is what it looks like at work, and this is the struggle I'm going through with my mom or my parents or my uncle, or this is the brokenness in my life that I don't know what to do with. Maybe an addiction that I'm trying to overcome. Or maybe just a character flaw that I've been fighting against that I'm just losing on these days. And this now is what it looks like to be hungry for the grace of God. If you're investigating the Christian faith, you need to see that and experience that in real terms. Not just reading a book, though you should read books. And not just reading the Bible, although, dear, you should be reading the Bible. But to be in the mix of community life, in our neighborhood groups, in these social gatherings, to seek out ways to get involved beyond Sundays. And for you Christians than to know that this means that you really ought to invite friends and neighbors into your lives. And not just to church. Because in some ways, that's easier. For some of you, it's the reverse. Yeah, I hang out with my friends all the time, but I don't really want them to invite them into this nutty gathering, right? Like Jesus, do you have meals with people who disagree with your faith? Jesus, who was famous for eating with those who were deemed to be sinners and religious outcasts. If you're a Christian, uh, you ought to be socializing with people who are not just Christians all the time. 
And do you bring them close enough to see your true life, your weaknesses, your desperate need for the grace of God? Fifthly, teamwork. I'll make this one quick. We'll wrap up here in a second. Verse 3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. See, Paul here is inviting prayer for us, a group of people, a team of people, that together they would declare the mystery of Christ. We're doing this as a group, as a team, as a community. Probably he's referring to other partners and friends that he mentions by name later on in this very same chapter. Timothy, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Luke, Demas, others that we find in this very letter. People that partnered with Paul and Paul was saying, look, we're in this together. Of course, then in verse 4, he says, pray that I may make it clear. He had a specific role as the, as the main teacher and explainer of the story of Jesus. But everybody had a role. And this is the joy of doing this in community. That there are different roles that every person plays. One person might be the inviter. The other person might be the philosopher. And not everyone is that. Sometimes you feel pressure, if you're a Christian, to be able to answer every last question, right? And so sometimes you just avoid all the questions because you feel like you don't have the answers. You know what? There are people in the church that have answers. You don't need to know all of them. But you might be a friend. A friend that maybe grew up with that person that you're talking about. Or maybe a person that's been through a unique experience. You see, you might be able to bring your friend together with you to the pastor who might be able to talk about the historic Christian faith. And I love doing that. But I can never be you. You have a unique role in that person's story of faith. And if you are that person, again, an investigator, an explorer, a questioner, that do you understand that the more you're able to be exposed to different people in the community... And kind of pick up different aspects of the Christian faith, the more you'll get angles on what it looks like to actually believe in this stuff. Which is why I always say it's so great that you're here because working through your doubts or your questions and arriving finally at a true embrace of Jesus, the best place to do that is in community. Surrounded by people with different gifts and different kinds of relationships with you. Not on your own, not in a coffee shop, and not just in the quiet of your room, but in community. Because God does this all together with many different people and many different gifts. Let me close with this final word. What's the power of being like this. I mean, what's, what's the secret? We're talking about, okay, yeah, we should be this way. We should be that way. Humble, transparent. We should be clear, have gracious speech, do this together as a team. What will make us more like that? And the answer that Jesus gives us is, again, this story. When he's confronted by religious leaders that are self-righteous because they're saying the problem with the world is them. How can you hang out with them? Here Jesus is saying, put yourself in this story. There's a shepherd that's got a bunch of sheep. 
He loses one. He cares so much about that one that he runs after it and almost in, with great risk sacrifices everything in order to have that one. And when he finally finds that sheep back, he erupts with joy and he can't hold his tongue. He invites everyone else to rejoice together with him. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. How do you get the joy and the power and the energy to be this sort of spiritually diverse community? Put yourself in the story. Where are you and who are you? Even if you're a Christian, dear friend, you are the lost sheep that has been found. You are the one that Jesus went after to come and care for and save. You're the one that he laid down his life for to die for. You are the one that he spoke to with such graciousness in a way that you could understand. You're the one who he came to to open up your heart, to give you faith that you didn't have, to give you the ability to embrace what you did not think you could embrace. He was the one that came with utter transparency, letting you into his life where he said, let me let you see me. I'll come in flesh as a human being, not God from far off, but God that moved into the neighborhood, a God who opened up his life to you, who walked with you in your shoes, in your skin as a human being, the story of Jesus, the God who said, let me die for you. See, the power of being this sort of community is experiencing the grace of God in this way. Because people who are cynical, self-righteous, which we all have in our hearts in some way or another, self-righteous people that think they're okay are never hungry and never eager to open themselves up to people from the outside. Never, never, never. Well, people that know themselves that they are hungry for the grace of God, beggars for the food of Jesus, themselves become joyfully engaged in the project of becoming a spiritually diverse community. Dear friends, if you are not a professing Christian, but you've been with us for a little while, can I ask, how have we been doing? How have we been doing on this? What's your experience been like? We would love to hear from you. I would, your friends around you, the people in this community. And for all of us, if this is true and if this is the sort of church we want to be, who then are those two people that maybe you might invite to our grand opening celebration on September 8th? That you might be able to help be and build a community that is welcoming, helpful, and accessible. And out of the confidence that we're trying to be that sort of church to boldly go and invite a neighbor, a colleague, a friend, and to say, I think there might be a place that might be helpful to you. It has been for me. And I think I know a person, his name is Jesus, that also might be meaningful to you. Two people, three people, who's already on your mind? Let's pray. Jesus, we give ourselves to you, and we lay this vision before you, asking that you would continue to refine our understanding of what that means, what this looks like. Teach us how to be a church that acts and operates like Jesus. Give us the heart of him, our Savior. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's